is there any only English speaking people here this morning? Just be honest, just calm busy. For some of Afrikaans. Okay, I'm going to speak Afrikaans for you. Hey, I'm going to speak Afrikaans. Stefan, where is Stefan? Help me with this thing, man. He's the right guy. My dood has kyk in my maag vast. Ja, hier is die tond waar achter. Alright. So, ons is die laaste paar weke We have been talking about a table for the last week and we've been talking about identity. We have talked about our identity in Christus. We have said that we are not here as servants of Jesus, not to do something in this king, but we have said that we are also here as his kids, as sons and daughters of God. We are here as the bride of Christus and he is our bride of God. So this is as much as this is an action movie that we find ourselves in, it's actually also a, rom- a romance, a romantic drama for some of us the challenges from the Leverkorn. But this is supposed to be a romance, it's supposed to be that thing that one day when we get to heaven and all of this is finished and there's no, nothing left to do for the Lord, then we get to have fellowship with our bridegroom and with our father for the rest of eternity because that is where we are headed. If this story has a conclusion, that's going to be it. The story eindig nie daar waar jy iets gedoen het vir hom nie. Die story eindig daar wat jy vir ons en so we ask the question not what were you created for but who were you created for and who were you chosen for? And that we talked about in the, in the weeks up until now. And then we said that we are all seated at this table. That's the language that the Bible uses. The, lang- the Bible could have used a lot of different languages. But it chose to use the setting of a dinner table. And now we are all sitting at the same dinner table. And God the Father is sitting there. And Jesus is sitting there. The Holy Spirit is present. And so are the rest of the body of the believers that's in our lives. is sitting with us at that table. And then we said that we've got this conundrum. We've got this problem, and we use the, 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 the example of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament that was disabled, he was lame from the body, uh, in his legs, so he could not walk. And we see that that's very the same thing with us, that we come to this table, but that we are actually, you know, in our, in our, we are disabled in a way that we've got a sinful nature, and that disables us. It, it prevents us from sitting there being fully perfect and fully whole, a whole and a holy. We can't because I've got my sinful nature. And that will always cause me to stumble. And so what happens is, is I'm sitting at this table and this is this holy table with God the Father sitting there himself. And then I stumble. And I sin. Or I've got a weakness and there's something in my character that lets me down. And I do something that I should not be doing or I should be doing that I'm not doing. And I've got this this war inside of me that Paul talks about. The good that I want to do that I don't do, but the good that I do that I don't do. You you remember that scripture that we said? And it creates this tallness in us. And what we tend to do is, if we are in the middle of that battle, is we tend to get up from the table and walk away. Because we feel 
friends, can you see that? Can you feel shameful? You feel guilty? You feel like, I don't want the Lord to see this part of me. And I'll first go and sort it out. And when I've got my confidence back, then I'll come back to the dinner table and sit next to God again. And we talked about that last week and how easily it is to walk away from the, from the table. And the problem also comes in is that we're also sitting there with one another. It's not just you and God. God chose that we would sit together with brothers and sisters at the same table. And so what happens is you get Miss Goody Two-Shoes that's sitting next to you at the table. She just gets everything the first time. The Lord shows her pride and yeah, dealt with that. Thank you Lord, I've got victory in this area. And you know, the next thing comes and there's just this flow and this growth in the sister that's sitting next to you. And you're still struggling with numero uno. I'm still struggling to stop with this or stop with that. And then sometimes it brings across another form of guilt and, and shame that my sister, why, why are they getting it right? And why, why am I struggling? What's wrong with me? And it's a moeilike ding. And now sit hier saam met ander maaikies daar, so saam met ander boetjes en sissies, as dit net betekker is in my en God is, is dit ook nog fijn, is dit ook nog ok, dit is makkelijker. Maar as my betekker moeilijker is my boetjes en sissies, my weakness en my disabilities sê. Is dit nie so nie? En dan wil ons baie makkelijk en baie vinnig van ons isoleer en wegtrek van die tafel af. And the enemy is so clever. He knows exactly how to manipulate the situation. He knows exactly how to manufacture your own thoughts and the feelings that's inside and keep that the, the right. I, I amplify him and make him erger op die rechte tye. And I sit here and think, and you come what I can make him fun. Make is baie teleergesteld. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I can't face him. And then I stay away from community for a few weeks so I don't come to church for a few weeks because of this thing this tallness inside and so we're going to move on we're going to move on this morning and we're going to talk about what happens if I did stumble what happens if my sinful nature my disability causes me to stumble in front of God in front of Jesus in front of the Holy Spirit in front of my brothers and sisters at the table how do I respond? It's God's heart in my response to that. Because the thing is, and that's what we also said yesterday, what happens when I sin? Accusation comes from the enemy. And what happens is, is he, he, he asks you, you know, who, who are you to think that you can sit at this table? PCI, who's this imposter that's sitting here? You are not worthy to sit at this table. This is a holy table. You should not be sitting here. Look at you. You're filthy. You're dirty. And what we said last week is that in Christ, if we have given our lives to Jesus, and we are living lives like we, like we showed this morning, that He surrendered to Christ, not in my own strength, but in the strength of Jesus. And in Jesus, if we are in, in Him, then we are fully justified. And we read the scriptures and I quickly want to just go again through just one or two of these scriptures just to lay that foundation again because if we talk about all of these things it's so important that we 
come from this angle. It says Romans 3 verse 23, for everyone has sinned. Is that you and me as well? Yes. Is there anybody inside this room that has never sinned before? Is it probable that you will sin this week? That your disability will pop its ugly head at some point during the course of your sinful nature or something and you will sin. Is that, possibility, is that a possibility in your life? Yes. Alright, so the Bible then speaks truth. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of the glorious standard. Yeah, this version, I've got a different version here. It says, uh, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And I just want to pause it there. There's two scriptures here. James 4. Just go back, Melanie. L look at the standard. Just quickly look at the standard. You know, when we had the law, it was easy. It was black and white. We saw the law and it was like, don't, don't steal. Don't sleep with another man's wife. Don't eat pork. Don't whatever. Everything was written down. It was kind of easy. Now, God's standard is different for us now. Suddenly it becomes this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now it's not just what you do and uh, 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 what you should not be doing. It is if you don't do something that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, then it's sin. It, it, becomes, it becomes almost complicated. It's not as black and white anymore. So I want to ask you this morning, if you were standing here and the Holy Spirit laid on your heart this morning, a picture or something to come and share, and you neglected to do it, is it sin? It becomes complicated, doesn't it? The standard becomes kind of high. It's not that, I always want to say, it's, you know, there's a part of me that said, you know, at least the law said it was black and white. At least the law said it was, you know, I knew what it was. Now suddenly... I have to find the Holy Spirit in this thing. I have to keep my ears and my eyes on Him. And that's what happened this morning as well. As we all stood here in front, we can't rely on ourselves. We can't look at ourselves in, in order to, to, to know what is sin and what is not sin. Because the Bible also says above everything else, the heart is deceitful. And so sometimes we need one another as well. To see the sin that is in my life that I don't even know. Because sometimes I should be doing something, but I have quenched the Holy Spirit or I silenced the Holy Spirit and now I, I don't hear His voice anymore. And then a brother or a sister can come to me and they can say, Hey, Stefan. Anyway, then Matthew 5 also. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustfulness has already committed adultery in his heart. Again, it seems, you know, almost as if the standard has been raised now. It, it almost feels to me it's even more difficult now than it was in the Old Testament for the guys. For us to come to this. And now it says here in Romans, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Because we've got a disability. We've got the sinful nature that's in us. So how do we do this? How do we go forward? And that says to verse 24, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in his sight he did well let me rather read than reading the same thing and he says glorious god and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in jesus christ again in jesus whom god put forward as a proper relation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness whose righteousness god's, god's righteousness it's not mine to work for 
It's not my righteousness because I'm doing the right things and I'm stepping in the right places and I'm, I'm serving in church. Now I'm righteous because of that. It's God's righteousness because I believe in His Son. Because I am living a life that is surrendered to His Son. Then, in Him, in Jesus, I'm covered. So this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of who has faith again in Jesus. Then that what becomes our boasting is it excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No. By the law of faith. It says here in the NIV it says uh, you know, is it something that we now can boast in? God, this justification? No. The only thing that I did is, is I believed in Jesus is, has the ability to set me free. Jesus has the ability to forgive. That's the only thing that I, that I chose. And I chose to surrender my life to Him. And then the free gift of justification, sitting at the table. And this is what it boils down to. Sitting at this dinner table with God the Father, with a disability of a sinful nature, but God does not see that. All He sees is Jesus. That is what it means. When He sees me, He sees His Son, Jesus. And that is very important for us to understand that before we can really move on to what God has for us. So, we are in holy and right standing before God in His Son, Jesus. But can I still sin there? Can I still sin there? If God does not see my sin... If he only sees Jesus, can I still sin then? Because then, I, yeah, and, but, but then is, is that sin attributed to me? Can, can, I, can sin hurt me in that way? Because I'm justified. Yes? Can he die for all our sins? Listen to this. We're going to go to the scripture now. You, you're right in what you say. We're justified and we're justified until the day that we die. That does not change. But there's still the, the effects of, of sin, the risk of sin in my life is still as real as it is before I was justified, before I gave my life to the Lord. It is still there. Because what happens is, and, and, and it has led many churches and movements and people astray in recent times. Because now there's grace, because there is justification before God, God does not see my sin. So why do I need to come and, and repent before Him? Why do I need to come and say for forgiveness if I have been forgiven of my sin already? If there is no sin before, then I don't need to come before the Lord. Then I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. And it's a very slippery slope if we start thinking in that direction. I want to give you a few scriptures. Paul answers this question to the Romans. He talks about grace. Grace is the free gift and grace and justification works hand in hand. Grace is God's free gift because I got saved, because I'm in Jesus. He gives me His grace. It's His, it's His forgiveness that runs until the day that I die. He's promised to forgive me that when I do come to me, He will forgive me. That He gives me uh, eternal life because I am in His Son. That's what grace is. And now Paul says, because you've got grace, because you've got forgiveness... Does it mean now I can sin as much as I want to? Because the more I sin, the more grace there is for me. Is that the answer to the question? No. Paul says this in Romans 15, uh, 6 verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And then he says, by no means. 
Just because there's righteousness, just because I am in Christ, sitting in front of God, blameless because He sees Jesus, does not give me the right to now say, listen, now I can do whatever I want to. Sin will have no effect on me. John 5, 5 verse 14, Jesus says this to you. He heals a lame person. The guy's lame. And he heals this person. And look what Jesus says. He found Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus, that person. He believed that Jesus is now the Messiah. So he is now justified before God, this guy. What does Jesus give him the advice? He says, see, you are well now. And I I believe in my own heart, he actually was speaking to not just being well in terms of physical, but even spiritual. That says, see, you are well now. I have healed your spirit. I have brought it to life. But now that you are well, now that you are justified, sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more was Jesus' words to him. James 1. And look, James is talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's talking to those that are already justified before God. He's not talking to the world. What is James 1? He explains this thing of sin. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Their desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I want to ask you, if we are fully justified before God, and He only sees His Son Jesus when we are sitting at the table, is there still a risk of death to me? Through sin, through doing sin. Is there a risk? Yes. Yes, until, I not, until I'm rid of the sinful nature that is in me. Until I go to heaven and we are transformed into our new state and being. While we are on this earth, sin and the risk of sin leading me to death will always be there. And so that prompts me that there should always be a response in me when it comes to sin and my sinful nature in me. I cannot sit back. Because there's justification and grace, I cannot sit back and say that it will have no effect on me. I'm okay now. Is that good? Yes. Understand that? Yes. And that's very important for us because God wants a response from us when it comes to sin. When He shows you something in your life, when He shows you a character, and it's not just always sin. Oftentimes it's a weakness. Oftentimes it's something in my character that might lead me to sin. So when God comes to you and He shows you something at the table, and when He highlights something, and He says that, we read it last week, we are seated with our enemy at the table as well. It's not just us and my brothers and my sisters, even our enemies are sitting there. That will remind me of the fact that I'm, 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 I'm disabled in some way. So what happens is, is God wants us to deal with these, and He wants to deal with these things in our lives. And it is important that we respond to that. So that's just the basis what we need to talk about. Because otherwise, if we go from the outside and we say, listen, because I am justified, I no longer have to deal with sin. There's a different way of dealing with sin than we are making a mistake. We still need to deal with, with sin and with my character. So when the Lord comes and He puts His finger on something in my life, it is important for us to respond in a way. And we're going to look at the response just now. Because the thing is, sin is still active in my life. He's still the enemy. 
There's a war inside of me. There's a war inside of me. My flesh and my spirit will always be at war with one another. And it is that war that is the thing that sometimes wants to get us up from the table and make us walk away from the table. Instead of sitting at the table where it is best for me to deal with these things. You know, justification, and I don't think this is the only thing, this is my own understanding of that. Justification brings me to a place where I can stay in the presence of God, stay in the presence of Jesus, stay in the presence of the Holy Spirit to deal with the things that the Lord points out. Because if the sin in me, because God hates sin, God cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot stand in the presence of sin. He will, he will, he will not stand in the presence of sin. Because He hates sin. It takes everything away that He loves. It destroys what God loves. It destroys what God has created pure. It corrupts what God has made. And so what justification does and grace does, it affords me, it helps me to stay at the place where I need to be to deal with these things. So that I don't have to go away out of the presence of God. That's what the role of justification is. But it does not take away the fact that I have a sinful nature. It does not take away the war and my role in this war. It does not take that away. It says 1 Peter 2. It says, Beloved, I urge you as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So there's this continued war and he urges them to say, listen, we've got to deal with these things. When the Lord points something out, when we're sitting on the, at the table with Him and He points something out, it is, it is important that we don't just shrug it off, that we don't delay, but that something in us has an urgency to know that there's a war going on and I need to deal with these things. Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So there's an ongoing struggle. There's an ongoing struggle. And justification and grace does not take away the struggle that's ongoing. But what we are saying to one another, justification is the place that you suppose. If you understand it correctly, if you've got a good understanding of justification and grace, it is the thing that keeps you at the table. It is the thing that keeps you close to God, close to Jesus and close to the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? Because God, the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the only person that can help me overcome sin in my life. And that's what, we, what the Holy Spirit led us to demonstrate this morning. And where Stephen also got that prophetic word. We don't deal with these things out of our own strength. We deal with it with the strength. And can you deal with sin and weakness and character on your own? Can you deal with it on your own if you're not at the table? So can you see what the strategy of the, of the enemy is? The first thing that he tries to do, he tries to isolate you. He tries to take you away from the table because he knows that when I'm away from the, the, the Father, when I'm away from Jesus and when I'm away of the Holy Spirit, 
It's just going to be a lot more difficult for me to deal with these things. And the way the war will most probably overrun you. You understand? Is that good? So, I'm going to look at three roles. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit quickly. I'm not going to linger on them too long. But I want to show you just three things that happens. And it's not the only things. It is three things that the Holy Spirit just highlighted for this morning. The role of the Father, the role of, of Jesus, and the role of the Holy Spirit when we are dealing with sin, character, our disabledness, our sinful flesh, our, 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 innate, our weakness. So it's not just always sin. Sometimes it's, it's, it makes my character. I, I struggle to deal with things because maybe I'm not as faithful as I should be. Maybe I don't see things correctly in the right way. The Holy Spirit comes and He teaches me on it. He shows me on that. So what's the Father's role? One of the Father's role at the table. The Bible speaks of Hebrews 12. Listen to this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And you can sit in there with daughters as well. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are approved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. And He chastises every son and daughter whom He receives. God is sitting at the table and He disciplines us. Now, the minute that we hear the word disciplines us, who of you immediately thinks of the word punish? I want to be honest. That's my, that was always my understanding. When I think of discipline, discipline my mind immediately goes to punishment. Skroteki. I was naughty and now I'm being punished. I'm being disciplined. And since I've become a dad, I saw this a bit differently. You know that most of the discipline that I do with Vian is beforehand. It is not after, it is not in a reaction to what he has done. It is working before he is going to do something. It is seeing something in my little boy that has a tendency to only get chocolate brewing. As ek vir Vian los, ek gaan hy heel dag, elke dag, al wat hy gaan eet is chocolate brewing. Vian, wat wil jy eet? Chocolate brewing. Wat is jy van dit? Chocolate brewing. Weet jy vir chocolate brewing nie? En donuts. En donuts. Now, I know that he has this, hy het hierdie neiging. Now, as a good father, who loves my son, can I leave him to only eat donuts and chocolate brewing? What will happen to him? Sick. He will become sick, unhealthy. He will probably die of a heart attack by the age of 30. No joke. So as a good father that loves my son, I discipline him. And I say, hey my boy, no television time if you haven't eaten your groente. No television time if you haven't eaten your vegetables. I discipline him beforehand because I love him. I don't want him to go that down that road. And so oftentimes we only think, when we think about discipline, we only think beforehand we're, uh, as a reaction to what I've done. I know, as a father, that if my kids are tired, they don't function as well as when they are well rested. They become grumpy, they struggle to process the things that happened around them. 
alles is net in mekaar, hulle raak heilerig, hulle raak fijngevoelig, they just don't do as well as when they're well rested. So what happened? I put certain boundaries in place. I put certain disciplines in place in my house. Where we say the kids, they go to bed no later than 8 o'clock. To provide them enough time to be well rested for the next day. I discipline them. And so the same thing happens. Our Father that loves us, He's not, he's not punishing He's not in a reaction to what I have done and all the sin that he's seeing in my life and now I need to discipline you to correct these things. There's a father that loves me and he knows. Yeah. If I give Willem what he is praying for now, I don't think it will be healthy for him. I don't think he will handle all of that too well at this point now. He's not ready. There's something in his character that I first need to, to see before I can trust him with this. God suddenly puts up certain boundaries in my life, certain disciplines in my life. And it's the same with my sinful nature. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. If you give me something, I will drink until I drop. Most of the time. God has done a great work in my life. I don't think, even if you give it to me now, I want to do it. So, it's not that I want to do it anymore, but Willem in his raw form, in his sinful nature, given the opportunity that I will always do that. So what did God do? A loving Father. He put certain disciplines in my life. Firstly, He gave me a wife that hates any form of drunkenness. He gave me a wife that can look after me, that can shepherd after me. The second thing that He put in my life is the fear of God. I'll never forget that we were in an elders meeting and I saw guys having to come to the Lord that fell in sin, that fell in weakness. And I looked at that and I said, I never want to do that. I never want to go there. I never want to walk that road. And the fear of God broke my heart. And because I felt the Lord said, if, if you continue on the road that you are, it's going to be you. And now so a healthy fear has grabbed hold of me. And it is that discipline of the Lord that is placed in my heart that keeps me in a safe place. So, when we are at the table, when we are sitting next to our Father, when we don't isolate away from the table, when we are in the presence, in intimacy with the Father, He will always put certain things in our lives and discipline us to help us because He loves us. He's not always this dad with some book in the hand that wants to give you a whipping when you did something wrong. That's, that's, that's such a complete opposite picture of what the Bible says. Of discipline. Don't confuse discipline with punishment. Now, second thing. Jesus sat next to you. There's two things that I felt the Lord highlight. The Son, Jesus, your bridegroom, you're my bridegroom. Firstly, understands. He understands. The Bible says in 1 Timothy... Uh, sorry, no, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, with our disability, with our flesh, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we need to be next to Jesus at that table because he is the only one in heaven that understands what we're going through. We cannot afford to isolate and walk away from Him. 
He is the one that understands my heart. He is the one person that I can go to and say, Jesus, you know what it feels to be tempted. You know, I know you never felt. I know you never went to the place of sin, Jesus. I know that. But, but still, you know what I'm going through. You know how these voices in my head come from every single angle. And it feels as if the stars are lining up and showing me alcohol button bottles. You know, when you're really struggling. Or whatever the case may be. You know, Lord Jesus, that you were hungry and you were at your weak point, your weakest point, and at that weakest point, when your challenge was at its worst, the enemy came and said, Hey, what do you think about this, Jesus? You know how the enemy operates, you know how temptation works. I need to sit next to Jesus at the table because he's the one person that understands. But when I walk away from him, when I isolate myself in my heart, I first need to deal with this thing. Oh Lord, it's this temptation that's coming again. I cannot, don't see, don't look Jesus. He cannot help you. The second thing that the Son, that Jesus does, He's the only one that can bring you forgiveness. And I'll never forget that. I remember the times that I struggled to understand this, this table, to understand this, this thing, and I was still, you know, isolating and coming back to the table and isolating and coming back to the table. I was just back and forth the whole time. And I never understood. Then what happened is, it took Jesus weeks to forgive me. Not because He couldn't forgive me initially, but because I isolated first. I walked away first. And it took me two or three weeks and then I came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And He was like, you could have done this at day one. And we could have moved forward. We could have moved past this thing. We could have worked in on it again. 1 John 5 say, 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And that's why we asked initially. Because we are at the table does not take my sin away, but it gives me the ability in Jesus to tackle that what is in me, that to tackle the law that is in me. Not in my strength, but in the strength of Jesus. And that is why it is so important for us to realize that the war against sin is still there. And the best place for me is in justification and in grace to be remain at the table. The last thing is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. Oh my word, I'm over my time. Oh. I'm just going to mention this. The Holy Spirit comes with power. The Holy Spirit comes with something that you do not have in you. And that is the power to overcome sin. I'm telling you now, we do not have it in us. Not through willpower, not through thinking. The Bible does say renewal of the mind, but even the process of renewal of the mind, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in that. So even the thing that I feel this is my responsibility is still at the end of the day comes down to the Holy Spirit needs to help me in that. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers me and helps me to do what I cannot do in myself. And to help me overcome that I cannot do in myself. 
But the other thing, we said this earlier as well. Who convicts? Who shows me sin in my life? The Holy Spirit. And that's why I believe the Lord is, is kind of training us during our worship times. This past few Sundays. To not rely as much to Willem to lead us and for whoever is in front here with the microphone. To listen inside and say, Holy Spirit, where are we going this morning? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? Because if we keep on talking to Him and we don't sometimes listen, then He can't speak to us, we can't hear Him. And it's super important for us to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying in our lives. And that's why we said last week, uh, David says in Psalms, he says, he stands in front of God and says, Lord, search my heart. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Is there anything in me that offends you? Show it to me, Lord. Show it to me, Lord. And so when we are sitting at the table, the Holy Spirit is there to help us see these things that we don't often see ourselves. And He is faithful to show these things to us. And so I see this picture. I see this picture where we sit next and, and look, we're going to get to that next weekend, next Sunday. When we're sitting next to brothers and sisters, because we've got a role to play with one another as well. The Lord, the Bible says we're a body. The body has a role to play with one another, so we're going to get to that next week. But I'm seeing this picture this morning of sitting in a table, and the Holy Spirit is here next to me. The place that fell up. I think you've got a problem with patience. Oh, Holy Spirit? Really? I didn't see that. I turned to Jesus. I said, Jesus, the Holy Spirit just showed me something. And we're all sitting at the table. I'm not getting up. Sit. Remain seated. I said, Jesus, the Holy Spirit just, this said, I'm impatient. I need patience. The Bible says, you say, I need patience. Jesus looks at me and says, I understand. I know Leone well. Jesus said, I understand what you're going through. You know what? All you need to say is, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. And I said, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. I didn't see it. The Holy Spirit is showing it to me now. He's revealing my heart to me. Jesus, will you forgive me? Jesus, yes, man. I forgive you. I forgive you. I look back at the Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, Jesus has just forgiven me. He understands. Holy Spirit, now I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to help me to get through to a place where I'm I'm patient all of the time because I never want to be impatient again. And the Holy Spirit says, don't worry. We're going to journey this thing up. But you know what? Let's Let's just ask the Father. Let's just ask the Father to help us in this, to show us grace, to show us His His discipline. Because if we allow His discipline, that will help us. He's going to put so and we look at the Father. And we look at Jesus and Jesus speaks on our behalf. He goes to the Father and says, Father God, Willem just came to me. The Holy Spirit showed him impatience and he desperately wants to move past this thing. And Father, won't you just put some things in place in his life? Won't you put up certain boundaries and disciplines that will help him? Father, won't you be faithful to work this thing out in him only the way that you can, God? And the Father says, I am faithful and just to work these things out. Holy Spirit, and then he gives instruction to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want you to walk with him. 
I want you to be close to Him on this week. I want you to, to, to give Him a hunger. Give Him an expectation to, to, to have quiet times, to have intimate times with me. I want you to give that to Him. Empower Willem this week. Because I want to show and learn and teach Him patience in this, in this week. That's how it works. That's how it works. And what happens now? I'm ending off with this. And this is actually the title of, of the preach this morning, where we, where we land. But we need to understand that picture well for us to understand what Corinthians is going to talk about now. What happens, I'll put it up here, otherwise I hope everybody's going to be good. What happens if God was faithful? The Holy Spirit was faithful. Jesus was faithful, as they always are. But I was unfaithful. And I stumbled. And with everybody, the whole heaven working for me, I was unfaithful and I stumbled in my weakness. What happens? It's those times where everything in you feels so shameful. You feel so condemned. You feel so... You just want to get up and run. Because this is not the first time or the second time or the third time maybe that I've struggled with this. And you know that the Holy Spirit was faithful. He helped you. And still, I wasn't able to stand strong. What happens then? Do I then get to get up from the table? No. There's something there that happens in me. And it's again, this is not something that you can work. This is something only the Lord can work in you. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 7. Before we show it. Sorry, before we put it up. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians and he said, Guys, the Lord isn't very happy with you. There's some things in your life that, need, that, that that's not right. It shouldn't be there. It's not part of, 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 of God's plan for you. It's not God's heart for you. You are being unfaithful in this and this and this area. And he showed these things to them. And he rebuked the congregation of the Corinthians on this. And then the Corinthians had a reaction to what Paul. And the reaction was that they remained seated at the table. They did not get offended. They did not get mismudah, discouraged. They did not get ashamed. They did not shameful harap. They remained at the table. And they allowed the Holy Spirit to work something in them. And the thing that the Holy Spirit works in you in those times is called a godly sorrow. Not a human sorrow, not a worldly sorrow, a godly sorrow. Not villain sorrow. My sorrow is just guilt. I feel guilty. But it doesn't bring me anywhere. It works nothing in me when I just feel guilty. Godly sorrow is those times when you know the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit needed to do. Jesus was faithful. He forgave. God the Father put discipline in my life. And He was faithful. I was unfaithful. And because I know that God was faithful, it works in me a sorrow. A godly sorrow. Let's look at that in 2 Corinthians. He says, even I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I didn't regret it, for I see that the letter, letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into 
repenting. repenting. There was something that came of that grief into repenting. And listen to this. For you felt a godly, a godly grief. So that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief <coughs> produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So I want to say, even if it is the tenth time that you are struggling with a sin or a weakness or a character thing in your life, do not get up from the table. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I need now your godly grief. I need now not regret, not shame, but I need your grief. I need your grief that to lead me to repentance because if I go there, if I stay at the table, if I don't isolate, then I will get healed because that is what salvation does. Salvation restores and it heals that when sin has broken down. And if I sin, I break something and then salvation comes and it heals and it repairs what has been broken. And there's two very important examples of this in the Bible. And this is what I land with. Two pictures of godly grief. There was two betrayals in the Bible. The one was Judas that betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And the other one was Peter that betrayed Jesus three times around the fire. Both two betrayals, the same sin. The same thing, they, they did not want to be associated with Jesus. They, they betrayed him, they handed him over. They said, I've got nothing to do with this man. Two betrayals. The one person had worldly grief. Worldly grief produces death. What happened to Judas? He hung himself. Judas was so ridden with guilt, not grief. He didn't go to God. He didn't remain at the table. He went away from the table. He ran away from God's presence. He ran away from the one person that could understand what he was going through. He ran away from the one person that understood what it means to be tempted. He ran away from the one person that could actually forgive him for the betrayal that he did. And he isolated away. And it ended up him hanging himself and leading to death. As opposed to Peter, that also betrayed Jesus, not once as Judas did, but three times. Three times he did that. But when he had the opportunity, when Jesus was appeared to them, did he run away? No. In fact, he looked for intimacy with Jesus. And the Bible says that he went and he walked with Jesus along the sea. They had a walk. I would love to know exactly how Jesus restored him at that time. But Peter knew, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to work godly grief in him. To bring him to repentance, to come to the person that could actually save him from death. And Peter came to Jesus, and I, 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 just, I believe Jesus just walked with him with him all his arm. And he says to Peter, Peter, man, I understand. I know what you went through at that moment. I know your heart was probably pounding a hundred times a minute. You know, the worst thing is, is I actually told you you were going to do it, and you said you were not. And I know that probably tore everything out of you, but you know what? I understand. You know what? Forgive you. Forgive you. 
And in that moment, Jesus restored and he saved Peter from death. Don't get up from the table because the three people, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is the only ones that can help us come to victory in the things that we actually need to be. Don't let the enemy bring guilt and shame over you in that. No.